This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This week on Hangar Talk, we say goodbye to one of General Aviation's biggest supporters. In advanced air mobility, it's not quite ready for prime time, Ian. Some new STCs from some fun avionics manufacturers. And Gamma says aircraft deliveries are strong this quarter. All right, you ready to do some Hangar Talk? Let's do it, Ian. From AOPA, your freedom to fly. This is Hangar Talk. The 1056 turn right heading 130, contact final 132.4. With your hosts, Ian Twombly and David Tulitz. This is Hangar Talk. Welcome to Hangar Talk, everybody. I'm Ian Twombly. And I'm David Tulis. David, our guest is Jim Alpizer. Jim is director of aftermarket sales for Garmin. And we chatted about a whole range of stuff from kind of what's on the horizon for them to how they go about their development. And I don't know, we just, I I really enjoyed talking to him. He's a super smart guy, had a really good chat. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing what you guys talked about. And I'm always interested in the aftermarket world. So it sounds like he's got great expertise in that. That's a man. Yeah, that division. Yep, absolutely. Okay, let's start off with the news. Something you've probably all heard by this point, but Jimmy Buffett passed away on September 1st. A huge loss for, well, music fans the world over, beach bums, uh, and especially pilots, because Jimmy was a a huge supporter of general aviation. He was, Ian, and I believe uh, you told me we were off air that your dad, Mark Twombly, might have interviewed Jimmy Buffett a long time ago for the AOPA Pilot Magazine. Yeah, we were just chatting, actually. I had remembered this from years and years ago. He was a pilot's subject, so the last page of the magazine back in uh we're trying to nail down the year we think maybe like 1985 Mm -hmm. so he was certainly one of the one of the first subjects and i remember him saying that he had to go over to palm beach or whatever to see him at his house and but lots of people had have had various interactions with him over the years in aviation circles. I've really enjoyed seeing some of the posts on Facebook about it because people, you know, they see him at airports, they've seen him at docks around the world, sure. you know, with his airplanes. And so it's, it's just been really neat to see. He was through and through a seaplane guy. I mean, that's how he got started. He was. And in fact, you know, my family and I had dinner underneath one of his Grumman seaplanes. Hmm. I believe this was called the Hemisphere Dancer. And that was in Orlando at a Margaritaville restaurant. It was really cool. You know, my my wife and daughter will fly with me on occasion, but, you know, I'm really into anything aviation. But we all had a great time. The food was good. And that's the other thing about Jimmy Buffett. He not only was a great musician and an accomplished pilot, but he was quite a good entrepreneur. He really sold the flip-flop T-shirt, you know, attitude to everyone worldwide. Yeah, it's incredible. I was reading a story over the weekend that said that he, I mean, this is a guy who moved to Key West, he said, because he just wanted the lifestyle, right? I mean, it's like he 
he grew up on the Gulf Shores of Alabama and he, you know, wrote these sort of country sort of beach anthems and moved to Key West um, because he said that's the kind of life he wanted. Right. Ended up being worth, I think they estimated around a billion dollars based on his various investments. Yeah, Forbes estimated his worth at a, uh, almost a billion. That's incredible. Yeah, it really is. You know, I, I recently had another brush with uh, with one of Jimmy Buffett's airplanes that he formerly owned. Actually, two. One I didn't realize that I was standing next to. But um, I got to fly the uh, one of the Cessna caravans that he owned, and this one was uh, purchased by AOPA's Mark Baker. Uh, Julie Walker said it's okay to say that because he's got a story coming out and <laughs> added a little bit to Jill Thomas' story about that. But it was a great aircraft. You know, it was a caravan on floats. You can take the floats off. You can put the wheels on. But as you said, Jimmy Buffett was notorious for flying south from Palm Beach International to the Bahamas, you know, and just, in fact, they named a departure after him, the Buffett One Departure. Yeah, so cool. But I got to fly that aircraft, and it truly was a nice aircraft. And um, I want to say that he had another caravan that he bought later on in life, too, and just transferred the end number to that. Hmm. So he also, you know, he would talk about aviation in his lyrics sometimes, of course. You know, the one, I think, Jamaica mistake where, you know, they talk about being shot at by the Jamaican authorities because they mistook his airplane for a smuggling airplane. Yeah, and he had his family on board that aircraft at that time, too. Yeah, yeah, and he introduced me to my favorite aviation song, which I think, you know, you curated that, uh, the aviation playlist. Oh, yeah. And, which is Treetop Flyer. It was like a... Oh, yeah, that's on there. That's on the playlist, for sure. Yeah, and I think it was like a secret track on maybe even the same album. And I have to say, I... Well, of course, then you then you seek out the Stephen Stills version, which I thought was even better. And so it's like, you know, it's cool. It's all the different ways that he weaved in aviation throughout his life. Yeah, he was a, a, a great musician. He'll be missed. Uh, like we said, aviation was a huge part of his life, and, and he owned several aircraft. Listen, he was an accomplished aviator, Ian. He also had type certificates and a couple of jet models. Yeah. You know, the and like range. you said, seaplane flyer through and through. Yeah, absolutely. All right, David, let's talk about eVTOL. It's been a few episodes. Of course, we have to come back to it because, well, we just can't leave it alone. You found this great survey about eVTOL that I think we I, I would love to talk about because they interviewed actual executives from the industry. So these are people who are developing these aircraft, working with regulators to try and get them in the field, and even you know working with investors to raise money. And what I think we're finding is that even the people in the industry are a little pessimistic about its short term. You know. I'd say a lot pessimistic, yeah. actually. Yeah. So it was about 150 members that were surveyed. And they're all, like you said, they're all in the advanced air mobility segment. They revealed some deep skepticism about if this is going to you know, come to fruition on time. And by on time, we mean 2025, 2026. Mm-hmm. And even a couple of the manufacturers are looking at, at, you know, 2024 to have a few flights under their belts. But less than, a, I'll cut right to the chase, less than a third of the respondents said that they believed the main regulatory framework for AAM will be ready and rolled out by 2025 for the regions in which they operate. And to to that point, the FAA has released an advanced air mobility plan. They reduced that in July of this year. But the the vehicles themselves, Ian, aren't quite ready right. for advanced air mobility yeah. also. And that's yeah. 
that's a little bit more disconcerting to me. Yeah, it is interesting that even those in it don't think it's going to be ready by the time that they say it's going to be ready. So we'll right. kind of see. Yeah. But, you know, you mentioned some of the challenges with vehicles, and we just saw that um, actually a rotor blade, I don't know, they call it a propeller blade. Is it a rotor blade? Who knows? Anyway, Vertical Aerospace's VX4 crashed in August. Kind of an interesting accident because it was unmanned. Uh-huh. They've done manned tests, but this one in particular was unmanned. You hear that when there's a when there's you know one of these multi rotor ship sort of AAMs that there's if you lose one you should have enough power in the others to be able to land safely, right? Well, they lost. Well, we're talking about eight engines in this right. aircraft here: four for thrust and four help it go vertically and and for thrust. Yeah, so they lost apparently eight. I'm sorry, I said that I said that wrong. Four for lift. And four additional for thrust and for lift. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. So they they lost a blade off one of these rotors, and it apparently failed the motor hub, which then downstream failed other motor hubs because of an electrical bus. Right. And so the thing, as a result, crashed. So it's like, you know, one point of failure on all of these motors. They say they've already fixed the problem. It's fine. It's, you know, but it does show... I think some of the challenges that they're facing with so many, so, such a complex system, so many points of failure, you know. It is complex. It's very, very complex. You know, like you said, one blade departed the right inboard tilting propeller in hover, causing the supporting pylon, the motor pylon, to fail. And as you mentioned, the pylon had the electrical buffs in it. So the electrical bus failed two other motors. So now you've got three, the dreaded three motor failure. <laughs> I hate it when that yeah, happens. Yeah, <laughs> you know, in this electrical device, uh, uh, the electrical powered, you know, a vehicle. But the, it, it descended into the first, I, 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 the way I was reading that story, it started to descend the way it was supposed to, you know, kind of, kind of floating down mm-hmm. control descent, descent until yep. the other failures occurred and then it was a rapid roll and and crashed yeah. onto the right wing yeah they say the batteries uh the integrity of the batteries was maintained which is important right. so that's good but still it does leave some questions about what's going to happen when you have just sort of one failure on these very complex aircraft yeah it is it is and you know we talked a little bit about about some of the other players in the industry uh, a couple of episodes ago Volocopter, just to, just to review, Volocopter, they're in the game. They're looking to, to launch commercial service in mid-2024 in Europe. Archer and Joby Aviation, they're both targeting 2025. And uh, and e is still hanging in there and uh, are, is one of the players as well. So, I, you know, just to review a couple of episodes ago, we were talking mm-hmm. about some of the players. Yeah. And we do have some major players that are still looking to get this going. But bottom line, trouble with uh, some of the aircraft. They're so complicated. Trouble with the airspace because it hasn't really been set in stone yet, at least here in America. And industry insiders are having their doubts that they'll meet the target date. And we'll be right back. Hey, David, I got a reel for you. How can you upgrade your next flight without upgrading your airplane? I think upgrading the pilot would be the first clue for that one. (laughs) The guy between the headsets, huh? Yeah. That's right. (laughs) All right. That's not what I'm talking about, but I'll give you a clue. It has ADSB traffic and weather, Sirius XM weather and entertainment, no wires, and it works with ForeFlight and Garmin Pilot. 
Oh, Ian, I know what that is. It's the Garmin GDL 52 Series XM portable weather receiver. Yeah, that, that's right. Okay. And now, believe it or not, the Garmin GDL 52 comes with a three-month trial of Sirius XM aviation weather and a very special limited-time $400 rebate. Learn more about all that this receiver can do and the limited-time $400 rebate by visiting sporties.com slash GDL 52. Hey, back down to earth, back to reality. I want to talk about two STCs that just came out. The first is from Trig Avionics. They were granted an STC for their TX56 and TX57 Navcoms. These are really slick little devices. You were saying before we got started that the lower form factor is good for you and for the TriPacer. It is. True. So these are uh, just come out now from Trig. They are, holy cow, about five grand, which is, uh, whew, man, it makes you sweat, right? Just for a radio. It's expensive for a radio, and that doesn't include putting it in, which you can add about 50% yeah. to that, I'm thinking. And, of course, you got to buy an antenna if you don't already have one. But what's interesting about the Trig line is that the, uh, the 56 and 57 line, and basically the difference in between the 56 and 57, one is 10 watts and one is 16. Hmm. Okay. But what's cool is that uh, they're 35 millimeters high, and I asked you to do a conversion for me <laughs> for that. And that's you said it was one and a half inches high, yep. approximately. Yeah, about one and a third. And that's yep. a yeah, one and a third, and that's the same height as a SL30 Garmin SL30, which was which was and still is a favorite, you know, Navcom yeah. device. Nice radio. So if you want to have Nav, as in VORs, mm -hmm. you know, this is an option, and it's thin. For the Piper TriPacer, I've got limited panel space. This is interesting to me. It's got a built-in two-person intercom. Why it doesn't have a four-person intercom, I, I can't quite figure that out. Yeah, that is interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Why would that be? I don't know. Huh. Yeah. So I think, you know, we've been talking a lot about affordable avionics and, and one company that's really pushed that is Trio. Oh, yeah. So now as, you know, as part of the STC group for certified aircraft. So they just announced with Aspen uh, a package deal with a bunch of STCs where you can get this ProPilot STC Trio autopilot with an Aspen display for about 10 grand, which is a fantastic, I mean, that's, that's fantastic. That's amazing. That's installed and in there and everything. No. No, it's just for the device. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I just want to make sure because it's it's about, I thought it was like six grand for, for one of the boxes. So it's six grand for just for the autopilot. So let's say you've already got an Aspen and you want to add an autopilot. You can do that for about six grand. Okay. So that's really good. Or if you want a digital display and an autopilot, now you're looking at about ten grand. But either way, that's that's pretty impressive. Uh, that is a good that is a good price. And I don't want to... Um, I don't want to uh, go too far down this road because our special guest works for Garmin, you know, yeah. and the <laughs> co competitor would be the Garmin GFC 500 autopilot. And mm -hmm. I have seen those mm -hmm. advertised for about 16500 bucks installed, basic installation, uh, not with a yeah. lot of the bells and whistles, but just basic installation. So yeah. looking back at the, um, at the STC group, for, you know, a Cessna or a Piper, the popular models, even the Grumman's, those seem like pretty good prices uh, for for that autopilot system. Yeah. As yeah. One big limitation here is like, is your aircraft covered? So, right. and I suppose I buried the lead a little bit because that is kind of the news, some of the news here. And that is the STCs previously, I think were just in the 172 and 182 when they first came out about five, six years ago. And now it's 15 airplanes, including a bunch of the Piper singles 
and interestingly, the Grumman AA5 series. So if, you know, Bonanza owners and that sort of thing, you're still kind of out of luck there, but right, um, right. starting to work its way up the line a little bit. That's right. Ian, I'm also out of luck because yes, I'm the Piper are. Tri-Pacer. Yeah. Not going to happen, I'm sorry to say. So You're in the market for an autopilot too? I'd be looking at an autopilot nice. if it was affordable and the Piper Tri-Pacer. Well, you know what? When we talk to Jim a little bit later, maybe you can ask him if, if Garmin will do something about that. Yeah. You got a whole <laughs> bunch of Pacers and Tri-Pacers, you know. Yeah. They can help us out. There you go. All right. So we want to finish up with the gamut numbers. We love talking about this. It's just a pulse on the health of general aviation. And in that regard, man, it is really good. The patient is super healthy. The quarterly shipment numbers for the second quarter were fantastic. Up all across the board. Billings up. Deliveries up. Things are just, they're looking really good right now. Yeah, they are, Ian, especially a couple of the sectors that we had, had we had our eye on earlier that were not doing as well. The helicopter segment is up pretty much across the board, too. Revenues were up close to 30%, and total helicopter sales up almost 30% also. And we're looking at $1.9 billion just in that segment. We were looking to also add piston airplane deliveries. Those rose 11 in the first half of 2023 compared to 2022. And turboprop deliveries increased about 17.4%. And that's not all. Business jets were up about 2.4%. Yeah. Yep. So we should say the turboprops, especially just looking at the report, almost all of that increase was from single engine turboprops, which I find interesting. So that's the Pilatus, the Kodiaks, you know, the TBMs. Multi-engine turboprops, which Boy, these days uh, for the market, I mean, that's basically King Airs and the Sky Courier. They were more or less flat, 16 units in the second quarter versus 15 in the first. But everything else is up big time. Well, speaking of flat, also multi-engine pistons, hmm. the same first quarter and, se- and second quarter. Pretty close. Like looking, at, yeah. looking at the Piper Seminole lines, three and three, first quarter versus second quarter. I didn't take a deep look at the, uh, at the Textron offering for that, but you would think that the Barons would be the would be the comparative model and you know what one uh, baron in uh, quarter 1 and two delivered in quarter 2 yeah yeah for interesting them. yeah yeah so there's always increases i mean we went back and looked over the last couple of years and there's always increases from first quarter to second quarter as things kind we of get ramped up that. for the year yeah right. but even even with those considerations it's still i think a good healthy increase i mean the you know, we know the year-over-year stats are up, but also the quarter-over-quarter. Quarter. I mean, it's like first quarter was 293 total pistons, and second quarter was 420. So things are definitely ramping up. Toboprops were 117. Now they're 173. I mean, Jets 234, 352. So, yeah, just everybody is much, much busier now in the second quarter and looking really strong. That's true. And we've looked at a couple of our usual suspects, which we'll get to in a second, but you found one buried in the back of the gamma report that I'm gonna I'm gonna steal your lead on that. Uh, the Waco folks yeah. sold a, a, a Yunkers. Uh, and that is kind of cool. The the Yunkers A50, which we talked about, and we mm-hmm. also had an AOPA pilot magazine. That is pretty darn cool. But and they also, you pointed this out to me. They sold a amphibious YMF five yeah. biplane. Yeah. So that's kind of cool too. Yeah, those are beautiful. Yep. So let's talk about oddities. Actually, something that just blew my mind because we always just I I at least just kind of run past them as we are looking at the report because it's not really our sector, but air tractor. 
Holy uh-huh. cow, 59 aircraft this quarter. They oh, produced goodness. for about $83 million. That is, that's huge. I mean, for special mission airplanes like that, it's incredible. Well, $83 million helps drive this uh, overall, you know, budget. When you're looking yeah. at how much money is coming across through the delivery sector, that's pretty amazing. Going back to the usual suspects that I, I try to keep an eye on, Cirrus, still strong. They delivered 177 total aircraft. That's between the SR-20, 22, 22T, and the SF-50 Vision Jet uh, versus 90 aircraft delivered in the first quarter, which is what we said was about what we looked at back when we go back three or four years. Mm. You know, it's the same kind of a kind of a trend where first quarter starts to ramp up, second quarter we start to hit our stride, third quarter is about the same as second quarter, and fourth quarter I noticed actually um, also is pretty strong. Yeah. We hadn't got yeah. there yet this year. But we'll see. Now, what about what about someone like Textron? How are they doing with the trainer line? That's something we look at sometimes. Yeah. So, you know, a few years ago, it's like Piper was they really clawed back a ton of market share. But uh, Textron did not just let them have it easily. Um, They have really ramped back. I mean, they I think what this quarter they produced 54 Skyhawks, which is double what they did in the first quarter of the year and, and 10 more, 12 more, actually, than they did at the same time last year. So. They're really on fire there. And and even the Skylanes and the Turbo Skylanes and the Stationaires, they're all really healthy. Yeah. Well, speaking of their um, one of their closer competitors, let's talk about Piper down in Vera Beach a little bit. They delivered 38 of the Archer or Pilot 100 models. Mm-hmm. To, and then that's comparative to the 172s, I guess, which are 54 that you just said. So Piper's a little bit behind uh, Textron in that trainer market. But... Uh, what's interesting in the Piper category is that they're doing pretty strong business with the with the M line. Mm-hmm. I added them all up. There are about nine additional M model aircraft that were that were made this quarter versus last quarter, and that's the 350, the 500, the 600. So yeah. they're they're moving. They're moving out on the on the turbo market. Yeah. Like we said earlier, Seminoles, three in the first quarter and three in the second quarter. So you were thinking, Ian, that some of the training programs might have already filled their inventory in the twin department. Yeah, because, I mean, we were seeing a few years ago that it's like uh, twins were and people were begging to find training, you know, twin trainers. Uh, there just weren't any new ones. There weren't any used ones on the market. People were scrambling. So production really ramped up for a couple of years, and now we're seeing it sort of level off again, I think. So it could be that that we'll see a continued leveling there. Before we let the gamma numbers go, one thing I, that really caught my eye is that um, in the jet world, Embraer had a massive quarter. They did fantastic. So they, last year, they did 21 jets overall this year. They did 30. So that's a really, really healthy increase for them. And considering the, the price of a jet, yeah. that helps drive the overall sales initiative when we're talking about the overall numbers yeah. uh, significantly because the bigger they are, the more expensive they are. Yeah, and to your point, so they, you know, 21 jets uh, last year was 200, about $288 million, and 30 this year was about 200, or I'm sorry, 427. So, wow. huge increase there for Embraer. That's amazing. Well, we got strong numbers here in the Gamma Report, and we'll probably revisit this in a couple of weeks as well when third quarter comes out. Mm-hmm. It does look pretty good. You know, you, you look across the board, and we're doing great in the, in the general aviation. Things are strong. You know, the prices for even 
Uh, used aircraft are still kind of high. Your average 172 is about yeah. ni- 90,000 bucks, yeah. you know? I know, it's crazy. And I don't see that. I don't, you know, earlier we were thinking that the prices might fall a little bit, but I haven't seen that yet. And I do still peruse the uh, the used market, although I'm pretty happy with the TriPacer. <laughs> You're just looking, right? Just for fun. <laughs> Yeah, just for fun, because we have to have that good background whenever we do yeah, hangar talk. Right. we got to know what, what we're talking yeah. about. Well, so, David, so one thing that's interesting that, uh, that Jim and I talked about is that, obviously, the aftermarket and the OEM teams, you know, they borrow from each other, right? Yeah. So, at, at these avionics manufacturers. And so, uh, Jim will talk a little bit about that and some of the other things that are going on there in Olathe. Great. Well, Jim, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate the time and excited to talk about Plane Sync and some other stuff you guys have been up to. Hey, excited to be here. Thanks for uh, having Garmin join you here. And uh, yeah, it's been an exciting year so far and uh, looking forward to more excitement ahead. Cool. Okay, great. So let's get right into it with Plane Sync. Um, this is, I think, probably your biggest announcement for the lighter GA community this year. Came out, um, I guess, in pieces earlier, but then kind of at AEA. Get us up to speed. What exactly is it? Plane Sync, which we, uh, like you said, kind of formally introduced this uh, around the April timeframe, really is intended to simplify aircraft ownership. And one of the ways that that we're doing this and one of the ways that we're thinking about this is thinking about, you know, inconveniences and problems uh, aircraft owners have had to deal with over the years. And certainly, you know, database updates has been a, you know, a significant amount of effort for folks to manage and maintain. And so we really kind of focused in on improving the, the database update experience, hmm. but we wanted to do more than just that. And so for an appropriately equipped aircraft, it actually can also provide you real-time aircraft status updates uh, for the aircraft and what's going on inside. There's quite a bit that goes on inside of this product, but really it's it's about you know making life easier for aircraft ownership. We understand that aircraft ownership is very time-consuming and an onerous process. And anything Garmin can do to help make that process simpler is really what Plane Sync is all about, trying to keep you connected with the aircraft and, and just make it easier to allow you to spend more time on more important things in life. So it's interesting that you say it came from the, the database side, you know, reducing one of those pain points, because obviously that's, I think, from the get-go, one of the big benefits. But something that really caught my eye is I was just looking over the website, and you guys are talking about some of the future features, mm-hmm. one of those being engine data yes. and the ability to download engine data. And to me, this is like you can see some real helpful applications of that in the future. So where do you see it going? Yeah, definitely. There's there's a lot of uh, plans that we have there. And, you know, connected aircraft management is really kind of the buzzword that we're using as, as part of this. And, and it's really allowing you to stay connected uh, to your aircraft, both while you're in the aircraft, because it can uh, replace some of our other connected uh, capabilities that we've used previously. Uh, but more so, the, the new innovation that this brings is, you know, being connected to that aircraft while you're away from it. And so using the kind of a, a 4G LTE uh, cellular connection or a Wi-Fi if your hangar is appropriately equipped, um, it allows you that gateway to, uh, to kind of get in there and see what's going on. So Think about some of the use cases with that when you've been flying around. You know, the last thing you want to have to worry about doing is, is managing data cards. And you may want to get the engine data or, you know, the track information from your recent flight. 
Well, all that information is stored on our equipment. And now with this new uh, GDL60 data link, uh, gets in st- stored inside of that while you're flying. And then when you land, even while you're still taxiing, all that data is you know, pushing over the network, over the LTE network to basically the Garmin network. And then from there, it's just accessible to you and or maintenance professionals. You can actually even set up processes where it will automatically you know, provide that information to some of your maintenance professionals. So it, again, it's really just uh, streamlining aircraft ownership and just making things so much more efficient for you so you don't have to uh, to do all that extra effort and, and labor into uh, looking at potential issues and or managing the aircraft for uh, yourself and uh, potential uh, shared aircraft owners. So you can, I mean, obviously that's, you can see the benefit of that kind of immediately, right? It's like to be able to, like you said, send something to your mechanic and saying, hey, this, this, I felt this on the flight or saw this, mm-hmm. maybe can you look into it? The next step to that feels like maybe real time, you know, to we get to the point where some of like the higher end business aircraft are or airlines where we can look at this stuff and almost have like a, <laughs> you know, like, like they have dispatch and maintenance on call 24 seven, you know, while they're flying in real time and monitoring. I mean, where, how far are we from that sort of step? Oh, it's it's there basically. I mean, you've got the ability to to look at things. You know, if you've got concerns about you know the way the engine was running, like you said, there's there's that ways that you can kind of look into that. But also just the overall performance of the engine, and uh, as you start getting into like turbine powered aircraft, things like that, there's the whole realm of potential that you have as far as you know protecting the engine and sharing that information, understanding if you know you might need a hot section or or you know what other maintenance might you need because of you know. A, a, a circumstance that happened in flight, it just really enables and unlocks a whole lot of potential for you. And and again, all that just becomes a seamless part of the aircraft ownership experience now through the GDL60 and our plane sync portal. Hmm. So this is obviously all kind of in the automation AI sort of, you know, sphere. So that brings me to Autoland and um, okay. kind of, I think, probably the biggest announcement you guys have had over the past couple of years and something that we've all just thought is super cool to watch. I'm curious how it's been received in the market in terms of sales. I mean, are you hearing anecdotally that it's driving people to those airplanes that have it equipped? I mean, are people, do you find that they're training on it? I mean, are they, have you had any saves, anything like that? Yeah, so definitely Autoland is, and continues to be a, 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 a kind of a buzzing technology, uh, an exciting technology uh, for people that are appropriately equipped. And kind of recapping some of that, you know, the uh, the Cirrus with the SF50, the the TBM900, as well as the uh, the Piper M600 are all aircraft that are currently available with this technology. And I know that there's been a huge uh, acceptance and and reception to to those uh, airframes uh, because they've got that technology equipped. And then we start talking to customers even beyond um, those specific airframes that have that capability. And and really everybody wants safety enhancing technology. And it's something that we've always recognized and tried to incorporate into our product line. And so while we may not have full auto land capability through every single product that we have that takes a considerable amount of investment for aircraft owners to, to really get that capability in the aircraft. But we are trying to take elements of that technology and make it much more accessible to uh, aircraft owners. And so uh, if you look at products like the Garmin uh, GPS Navcom product, the, uh, the GTN XI, that's the newest generation GTN navigator, we've added capability called uh, SmartGlide. And so SmartGlide technology is, is honestly, there, there's kind of a, that safety 
element of technologies like Autoland that have helped make all this possible. So in the event of a engine failure, our Smart Glide technology allows all this automation to kind of kick in and, and help the pilot in a kind of a, a nerve wracking and stressful situation. And so the, the brain of our uh, Smart Glide technology lives inside the GTN Navigator, but the more you have equipped uh, of the modern Garmin avionics, the, the more benefits you start getting. So you, if you've got the Garmin GFC 500 or 600 autopilot, then we can automatically engage that autopilot and, and start flying the aircraft at best glide. We can start your turn because we're a navigator as well. We can start that turn towards that nearest airport as well as you know, if you've got a transponder, we can make it super easy for uh, you to squawk emergency frequencies uh, through just a single button press and prompting you along the way as well. So, mm. again, all these technologies that Garmin has developed and culminated with Autoland, we're, we're seeing real practical applications of that to make that type of technology and safety enhancing capabilities very visible and, and available for a wide variety of aircraft. That's so cool. So it, it kind of is this thing that both it, it builds up and then sort of disperses. So it's like everything you did prior to that was allowed you to piece it together to come up to Autoland. And then once you create Autoland, you can say, hey, wait, OK, we got this piece here and this piece here. And how can we disperse that technology across other products? So, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Very cool. I want to talk a bit about the life cycle of avionics. So th this has obviously changed in a, I mean, relatively short time for a lot of pilots where we've gone from thinking of avionics as these lifelong pieces of equipment, right? So it's like you had an analog radio and you thought, okay, this thing is going to last as long as this airplane does, and I'm just going to get the parts replaced and just keep going forever. Mm -hmm. And we went from there slowly to kind of, you know, maybe panel-mounted navigators that had maybe 20, 30-year life cycles. Um, I know you guys probably get questions about the 430, 530 every day and how much longer mm -hmm. you're still going to have parts and be able to support it, to maybe the latest, which is like non-TSO'd and these, you know, less expensive options. So how do you guys look at the life cycle of a piece of avionics now? Because we're also accustomed to these sort of planned obsolescence, but obviously these are huge investments and, and we want our airplanes to have these stable platforms. So how, how does Garmin view that? Well, <laughs> interesting question. And there's a lot of different ways you can kind of look at this and think about this. Technology has come so far in the past, you know, 20 to 30 years in, in aviation and in general aviation and, and individual aircraft ownership. And you think about the capabilities that have been added because of all these modern components and displays and technologies at, at very reasonable prices, I'll, mm -hmm. I'll add as well. Mm -hmm. And so there, there's an element here that does so much for you as a, an aircraft owner and is made possible by, you know, modern electronics and, and other modern innovations like, you know, the simplicity of flying and being able to fly with touch controlled devices, you know, was never a thought, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, but Garmin helped make that possible. We were the first ones to bring that type of simplicity and, and uh, efficiency to the cockpit. But again, we're using kind of consumer-based technologies in the, the behind the scenes to help make that possible, as well as consumer-based uh, processors and um, things that that uh, really ultimately you see that innovation and the availability of those parts to be a kind of a, a limited uh, time frame. And so I know you said something earlier, and I <laughs> internally I kind of cringed when I heard you say planned obsolescence <laughs> because... I mean, ultimately, this is just the pace of technology mm -hmm. that we're running at. And, 
you know, honestly, we we develop products with a very long life cycle in, in the grand scheme of other, you know, comparable consumer based product lines. And so you look at the you mentioned the GNS 430 and 530. That's a product that is still flying today yeah, with sure. support and great capabilities that was developed over 25 years ago. And and that's that is a, a impressive number <laughs> from my perspective mm-hmm. that that you can have something that truly revolutionized flying that still has, you know, a overwhelming majority of uh, uh, systems that are out there that can continue to be repaired and supported today. Now, you mentioned, OK, is that going to change at some point in the future? And we have recently told people that, hey, that big bucket of parts that we bought in some cases, you know, 15, 20 years ago to help us build and, and support these products uh, because, again, these consumer-based uh, uh, technologies that we've used to help make that possible, to help revolutionize aviation, they aren't being built anymore. <laughs> and so we have to kind of say, well, how many more, you know, can we afford to take on to, you know, keep production running, to keep repairs going? And, and at some point, uh, in order for us to, to make that a very reasonably priced product, you have to set some boundaries mm-hmm. in place. And we feel like we've made some some very reasonable decisions as it relates to that. And it, you know, it breaks my heart that, you know, at some point, uh, probably sometime in 2024, we'll see some repairs become somewhat limited on the GNS 430 and 530 um, because that product line has been so hugely popular. But at the same time, we've made multi-million dollar investments in uh, allowing that to go on for so, so long. And so uh, I'm incredibly proud of how Garmin's handled that particular situation. And and I think we do that inherently across our product lines. And some are able to, to you know, do well, like the Genus 430 and 530s. Others may not go quite that long. But in any case, we do measure our product development and, and the product life cycle in decades, not, you know, you know, five years or even 10 years. It, it's it's really a, an extended amount of time that we're uh, striving to support these products. So when you make an investment in Garmin products in the future, I'll use the, the GTN as the, uh, the the newer generation to the GNS 430 and 530. Uh, we've actually already come out with our second generation uh, GTN, uh, the GTN XI, as I mentioned earlier, with uh, Smart Glide technology. And so we've been able to continue to innovate, add capabilities. And now with the GTN series, we're, we're making it even easier to go to future generations with even more modern displays and even more modern processors without having to uh, go through quite as a significant uh, installation or reinstallation. Cool. Okay. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's, it's, it has gone from maybe what we would have expected to be sort of complete hardware changes to software upgrades. And so that brings, you know, that brings obviously a lot of benefit and a lot of value to the owner in those cases. So, so you mentioned having, you know, a a background of some consumer technology or consumer products. And so obviously worldwide manufacturers were struggling with supply chain issues over the past couple of years. I know Garmin had the same sort of challenges that a lot of companies had. Do you see, are we kind of on the back end of those? Are you feeling like your delivery times are are becoming more in line with what you'd hope and, uh, and what's the future? 
Yeah, I, I'm, I'm actually very proud to say that uh, although there were some challenges over the past couple of years, uh, and, and some of them impacted uh, a lot of people who are listening to this podcast right now, in general, we're in a very healthy position right now across our entire product line. And so if you've been waiting because of availability, ultimately, that's no longer a, an issue or a concern for Garmin. We've gone through uh, multiple redesigns to help uh, engineer in supplemental parts to those product designs to, to basically design around the constraints. Uh, and of course, that comes at a cost as well. Because we're re-engineering existing products, it means that some of those engineers are not able to work as uh, rapidly towards other new products and innovation. So all that kind of comes at a trade-off. But uh, again, it's important for, for Garmin to, to continue to, uh, to support and, and serve customers as well as possible. And uh, virtually everything uh, that Garmin has in its product catalog right now is in stock or just, you know, a week or two away from being in stock. So we're in a very healthy position. We've been able to start replenishing our uh, safety stock, which we've always believed in. And just the pandemic was a uh, kind of a horrific experience for so many people. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, managing supply chain was part of that uh, pandemic induced uh, situation. And, uh, we've worked really, really hard at, at getting in a healthy position there. And um, actually, we've been kind of coming on the backside of this for you know over six months now. A lot of products got healthier late last year, and, and the last of them have finally gotten healthy in, in the second quarter of uh, 2023. So as we you know get into the second half of uh, 2023, uh, again, we're ba- basically in stock with everything now. Okay, that's great. So you guys have obviously had an incredible reign of I mean, there's no other way to put it. You've had a reign of dominance here over the over the avionics market, the late GA, especially over the past, I don't know, decade or more. Obviously, there are always, you know, there are always competitors, there are always threats coming in, some of them, you know, from the industry, some outside forces like COVID that nobody could have foreseen. Mm-hmm. So what uh, what worries you about the future? What, what do you see as some of the threats to, I don't know, general aviation, to Garmin specifically? What are some of the challenges you see? You know, I, I think we're... Threats from a standpoint, honestly, the the industry does a fantastic job of raising the bar for for everybody. And and honestly, we look at what the competition is doing. We look at what our customers are asking for, and and we we try to balance and blend all of this into you know products and solutions that ultimately enhance safety and add capabilities to uh, to what we do. And I don't honestly have too much in the way of apprehensions uh, right now. I think if you just kind of had to look around very, very broadly and very, very generically, it's it's uh, it's just a consideration of, you know, how healthy is the overall economy that, you know, I'll say from an aviation perspective and from a, a Garmin perspective, uh, we feel very healthy and we feel very good about the way the industry is going and the the, the interest in, in aviation still. And we certainly hope that that continues. And, and I think it's just... How can we continue to do things to take the the cost of flying down as low as possible and uh, allow aviation to be as accessible to, uh, to to really everybody as possible? And so that continues to to be a focus of, of Garmin's. And so through all that, I'm just really excited about what the future has and, and don't have any major reservations whatsoever. That's good. Yeah. So tell me. So what what are you excited about? I mean, I want to you know. If I ask what your what are the threats, you know, I want to know what you're excited about. Uh, we talked about some automation, AI, and connectivity. I mean, what's um, what's next? What are you? What makes you excited to come to work in the morning? You know, 
you know, I, I feel like this is going to be an incredibly generic answer, maybe more generic than um, than you're looking for. But uh, um, it's just really refreshing to uh, um, to always wake up every day and to come to work with like minded individuals that that really just want to energize and enhance safety for aviation and. I feel like that's where Garmin has been successful. We've been able to, you know, achieve those goals and milestones. And and uh, you said that we've become a, uh, I'll use a little bit different terminology, but you said we've become a very popular uh, um, <laughs> avionics uh, uh, provider in the industry. And, you know, that comes with a lot of passion and a lot of hard work behind the scenes. And I know there's, you know, there's there's so many engineers and a fellow leaders within Garmin that, that are helping, you know, really push the innovation to, to make that all possible. And, I'm um, just proud to be a part of that and to to have, you know, conversations with customers that we can bring back home and and then we can really act on to uh, to make even better solutions. And, you know, I feel like it's it's all this kind of cooperative uh, spirit that brings aviation together. That's incredibly energizing for us as individuals and, and us as a company. Great. Well, Jim, thanks so much for the time. And uh, I, I really appreciate you, you coming on. So I think the the thing that surprised me the most about our conversation was this idea, and it shouldn't have, I guess, if you sit down and think about it. But you know, we, you and I, have talked so many times about technologies like Autoland and how um, we want that to come down to like a one seventy two. But yeah. they're already doing that by taking various components of the system, right? It's not a the system is sort of a marketing term for a wrapped up bag of technologies and they're grabbing from that bag and being able to move it all the way up and down market. It's really, really fascinating how they do that. You know, Garmin has led the way in so many aspects of, of aviation and they're just strong. I mean, the first portable avionics that I had, the Garmin Pilot 3, it was a super, yeah. it was it was a revelation, Ian, back when we were learning about, you know, about GPS. And GPS is common now. I mean, when you think about younger yeah, pilots or true. pilots that are, are just entering the field, student pilots, they, they take a lot of this for granted. And Garmin, yeah. Garmin did pave the way for that. The in-panel units are so smart. You know, Ian, I even have an older unit in my aircraft. It's a Garmin 250XL. It's a VFR GPS uh, comm. And and now that I got the antenna work, you know, working correctly, the <laughs> the unit is just solid, and it provides so much more situational awareness. And when, when you and I both learn to fly, it's amazing. Yep, yep, that's cool. All right, hey, that's all the time we have. I'm Ian Twombly. Our editor is Austin Hansen. And I'm David Tulis. Don't forget, you can find us at aopa.org slash hangertalk or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we'll see you next time. See you next time, Ian. Hangar Talk from AOPA, your freedom to fly.